It's great to be here with you guys today. Um, my name is Andy and I'm from London, as you've just heard. And uh, I thought I might start by sharing something of my own story. Is that okay? Okay, well, I'm going to do it anyway. So there you go. Um, so I kind of grew up in a Christian family. My parents were Christians and my dad was a Methodist minister. And so I grew up from a very early age going to church each week. And I think at about age seven, I kind of came to a camp like this. And I experienced something of God. And I remember coming to the front of an appeal and giving my life to Christ. And then hit my teenage years. And I found it really hard because I used to read these amazing stories in the Bible of what God had done. And yet my experience of church didn't quite always fit with that. I thought, hang on a sec, is this really the same thing? I began to question, actually, is God real? Or is God just some kind of distant God up there somewhere? Does he actually want him to be involved somehow in my life? I began to have these big questions. There's a whole kind of peer pressure thing at school, and I began to rebel and trying to find out the meaning and purpose of life myself, uh, chasing girls and going to parties. And at the age of 18, though I wasn't following Christ myself, I decided to go and do a summer camp over in the States with a, a kind of company called Camp America. It's a clever name. They run camps in America. It's a good name. And uh, I had to work out what could I teach Americans. I thought, oh, this is great. American kids, what can I teach them? Okay, uh, I can teach them a bit of, bit of archery. That's not too hard. It's going to pull back and fire. Uh, drama, I tick that box. Football or soccer, I tick that box. But I was missing one box to tick. And on this list, I had the box of Bible stories. I thought, well, hang on a second. I know Bible stories. So I'll, I'll tick that box as well. To my amazement, I got placed on a Salvation Army evangelistic camp working with gang members. So... Picture the story, I turn up at this camp and uh, they've all got kind of one leg rolled up like this with the twos of the gangs there in and stab wounds and bullet holes like, yo, what's up, homie? How's it going, dog? I'm like, hello, I'm from England. Um, cup of tea. And my job was to tell these guys about Jesus. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I'm going to become a Christian martyr even though I don't believe this stuff. But I was so embarrassed, I couldn't really kind of back out the whole thing, so I kind of gave it a shot. And uh, having heard all these stories as a kid, I began to kind of regurgitate these stories. And to my absolute amazement, one of these huge guys who'd done horrendous things with his life got on his knees and just began to weep as he encountered God's love and God's grace. He was amazed by it. And there was I even more amazed, going, wow! God still works and transforms and changes lives. I think when I share my test, we often made a real focus of that, that moment when I made that decision afresh to recommit my life to Christ. But I've often underestimated the importance of my parents in those early years. But those Bible stories they taught me, the things that they invested in me, the way they modeled faith to me was foundational in my journey. I presently work for a charity called Share Jesus. People say, what do you do? We share Jesus. It's a clever name. And it's great to work with care for the family. What do they do? They care for families. These are really clever names we have. Um, and I'm working for these guys because of this. There's a new project they've launched called the Kitchen Table Project. And it's because of this statistic here. 50% of children growing up in Christian homes will keep their faith as adults. Just 50%. And to me, that's quite a, a painful thing to read. It's a heartbreaking thing, really. Many of us want our kids to grow up to follow Jesus, yet half of them, according to the odds, will not. So on, at night time, I put my kids to bed, my six-year-old and my four-year-old, as I say a goodnight prayer, the odds are that one of them will choose not to follow Jesus. But I long for both of them to have a faith 
in Jesus. So I've been working with Kev on this new project called, uh, called the Kitchen Table Project. Uh, we're looking at how we can begin to encourage parents in the home to inspire faith in their children, see their f- children grow up and know Christ for themselves. And two kind of quick things, first of all. First of all, there are no guarantees. No matter what you do as a parent, there are no guarantees that your kids will follow Christ. It has to be their choice. And it has to be a God thing happening in their lives. But I believe we can do more as parents to give our kids the best chance possible. There are no guarantees. And second of all, there are no secret formulas. Every family is different. Some of us might be adoptive parents. Some of us single parents. Might be both of us are Christians. Might be extroverts or introverts. Big family, small family. Each family is unique. Each family is different. There's no set way of doing this. My first question to ask you is this. Why might you want your kids to follow Jesus? It might seem like a really obvious question, but turn to the person next to you. I think it's a really important thing to articulate. Do we want our kids to come to faith just to fill our church buildings on Sunday morning? Or is it more than that? Discuss for two minutes. Go for it. Why might you want your kids to follow Jesus? Okay, do you want to share some ideas, some thoughts? So why might it be that you want your kids to follow Jesus? What are your thoughts or ideas? Do you want to shout some out, any ideas? Salvation? Okay, great, good. Anything else? You want what's best for your kids, and actually part of that is having a relationship with God, isn't it? Great, good. Any more thoughts? So for, for God's glory, great, good, for God's glory. Do they know love and acceptance from God? Yeah, because so many things often is that kind of thing, but actually ultimately God gives us love and acceptance. Yeah, any more thoughts? For me, one of my favourite stories to tell is, um, is of my daughter uh, about a couple of years ago now. She had a massive thing about bouncy castles. I'm not sure if any of you guys here have a thing about bouncy castles. Just me then and my kids. But, um, so my two-year-old was driving past a very kind of, a, kind of dodgy pub night area and saw this pub and thought, oh, wow. That pub's got a bouncy castle. Daddy, can we go on the bouncy castle? And I was like, ah, oh, it's a dodgy pub, but you do love bouncy castle, so I'll be a good father. And I pulled in. And when I got out of the car, and uh, we walked over to this bouncy castle, I stood by the, by the chair and watched her take her shoes off and climb this bouncy castle. And she began to walk over this bouncy castle. And this big, scary-looking eight-year-old went, no girls allowed. And his voice was broken and everything. It was very scary. And I saw my daughter's face kind of crumple, like, and she kind of got off the bouncy castle shuffled back and said, Daddy, the, the boy says no girls allowed. I'm like, okay, let's try again. I'll come and stand to one side and, and you try again. So I walked over to the bouncy castle by her side. And she climbed back on this bouncy castle, walked straight up to this eight-year-old boy and said, that's my daddy. <laughs> and just started bouncing. And I tell that story because I think for me, one of the things is that I know my kids are going to face some difficult things in their lives but I want them to know that they have a father in heaven who loves them. What they face in life, he is there with them, he is there for them. The key text we're using for this whole um, campaign has been around Deuteronomy 11. This kind of passage keeps reappearing time and time again. And it's this beautiful picture as Moses is saying goodbye to the Israelites. Imagine kind of half a million Israelites and they're in the kind of rolling grassy hills of Moab. And, uh, and Moses gives these three speeches in the book of Deuteronomy. And Moses led them for 40 years. For 40 years, he's led them out of captivity in Egypt. 
that amazing story of marching them through the Red Sea. The miracles they saw time and time again in the desert. Climbing Mount Sinai and coming down with the Ten Commandments. He'd been their key leader for all of those years. And in these speeches, it's almost like there's a, kind of a mark in the sand. Looking back, there was Egypt where they had been. And they're about to enter into the promised land. And imagine on this kind of dividing line, there was a real sense of excitement. They were going to have the promised land finally. But also there's probably a real sense of anxiousness. Soon Moses, their leader, would be gone. They had to seize the land. They were no longer going to be nomads. Their entire relationship with God would be changing as they enter a land that was full of idols. And it's into this that Moses says these words. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. In essence, he's saying, don't forget what God has done. Don't forget this story we have been involved with. Don't forget the promises of God, these things that he has been showing us. Because the next generation wouldn't have these stories and they had to pass on these stories that their kids would know just who God is. It's kind of the two parts. First of all, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. They had to almost receive and remember who God was, but they always had to teach them. Teach them to your children as you're talking about them when you sit at home after watching Paw Patrol or when you're walking on the road to Tesco's or when you lie down going for the bedtime routine or when you get up and you're trying to find the school uniform somewhere. In the day-to-day of life, share and teach who God is. Next quick question for you is this. What truths about God have you experienced? that you want to pass on to the next generation. The Israelites had experienced so much about the character of God in this time in the wilderness, and they wanted to remember those things and pass them on. The very fact that you're here in this seminar today, I presume you've experienced something of God. What is it about the character of God that you are desperate to pass on to the next generation? Discuss. Two minutes. Go. Okay, so any thoughts? What truths about God have you experienced that you would like to pass on to the next generation. Any thoughts on that at all? Actually, joy and contentment, even through difficult times. Actually, that's brilliant. That's good. Yeah. That God is love and that God is patient with us through all things. Amazing. Yeah. That God is faithful. Amazing. Any more? Two more? He never leaves you. Yeah, he is with us forever, always, even to the end. Great. He's more interested in our our character than our comfort. Really good. So about who we become is more important than what we do as well. And when we're about prayer here, actually this gift of prayer, we get to talk to God and God speaks back and, yeah, how he leads us in our lives. All these truths about God we've each discovered in our lives, we have 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 this joy of passing on. And really this whole thing, it isn't about we ought to and we must, but really this is our delight. 
we get to partner with God in sharing who he is with our kids. And um, throughout scripture, hello, there you go, um, there is this idea of, of kind of passing it on from generation to generation. So this here is Psalm 78, which Asaph writes, and he's kind of, he was a musician and a prophet in the times of David and Solomon. And he, he creates this amazing psalm, Psalm 78, which kind of tells again the people of Israel the story of their escape from Egypt, their history. And it says, we will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. So throughout the Old Testament, this idea of passing on this baton of faith, passing on these stories, reminding our kids just who God is. But there's also, in the New Testament too, some kind of key kind of verses here. I mean, there's no kind of perfect model family that God shows us in Scripture, but we get these hints throughout the New Testament of what God was doing in families. Acts 21 verse 9, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. That was Philip. So Paul's on this journey, and they're going back towards Jerusalem, and Agabus the prophet is about to meet them. And he stays with Philip, and there's this kind of throwaway verse. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So Philip had four probably very young daughters, unmarried, who prophesied. They're actually involved in ministry at a young age. We see Philip is modeling what it is to pass on the stories of Jesus, where he's been involved in ministry with his daughters. Then in Timothy, have that great story there. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 to 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. From infancy. And again, I love that story of Timothy, because Timothy is kind of timid lad who becomes this great leader, is that his dad was not Jewish. I'm not even sure if his dad was even a Christian. And yet his mother and his grandma are celebrated in this passing on of the Christian faith from generation to generation. It shows the importance of family. Actually, part of God's plan is the family unit. The question then becomes this. What then is the role of the local church? When we hear that stat that half of kids will choose not to follow Christ by the age of 18, the often solution we come to is, well, perhaps we need to do more as a church. We spend more money on children's work and youth work. We do more youth events, more children's events. We do more kids' clubs. We just put more time and energy and investment into what happens on a Sunday or in these clubs during the week. But I think perhaps there's a different tact. Perhaps the church needs to rediscover the importance of the family unit and to work out how the church can support families. I think three things. First of all, the church needs to provide belonging for families. What it really means to belong to this rich community of different ages and different backgrounds as we express what it is to know God's love together. Second of all, about supporting parents in their own discipleship, that even amongst busy times in their lives, the church being there and supporting them in that. Then thirdly, to equip parents in nurturing faith in the everyday. For many years, I've been involved in children's work and youth work, and I think in many ways I have failed because I've tried to do children's work and youth work without the parents' involvement. 
rather than seeing that actually part of God's plan is to involve parents. We're going to church at the moment, and uh, their Sunday morning clubs, they, each Sunday morning you go in to get your kids into Sunday school. When they come out, you get a list of the things that they've been learning about and some practical things you can do in the home to follow up with your kids. The idea that rather than just doing it for us on Sunday morning, it actually involves the parents in the discipleship of their children. There's things they can do during the week to maintain those conversations, to take things further and deeper. The idea that the church must be like a springboard into the rest of the week. But the wider community is really important. And as parents, we need to be looking for how we can involve others in the discipleship of our children. Next question for you is this. Who has helped you in your faith journey? So again, turn to the person next to you. Who has helped you in your faith journey? Discuss. Okay, so are there a few examples of people who have been very important in your faith journey? There are a few examples. you want to shout some examples out? Parents? Good. (laughs) You were listening. Good. Yeah. Friends? Teachers? Yeah. Parents, yeah. Writers. Writers, people who've written books and stuff, and yeah. New Horizons. Good answer. Any more thoughts? It's interesting that actually each of us has a role to play in different families as well. Actually, this thing called church, this diverse thing we belong to, is this beautiful community where actually we all get to be involved in the faith journeys of other people. Many of us might have had aunts or uncles or people in the church or an old lady or, or a young person who's been involved in the journey of our own faith. But interesting now, if you raise your hand now, if you had at least one Christian parent in the room, do you want to raise your hand? Which shows a good majority here of us have actually had some role that the parents have played probably in our faith journey and how important it is that we invite parents to be involved intentionally into that. Here are three reasons why I think parents need to take a particularly kind of primary role in this whole thing. The first thing is because we have the time. You might be thinking, hang on a sec, I'm a parent. <laughs> I have no time. Um, the Christian faith ultimately isn't about just things that we believe. It's about actually a relationship with the living God. It has to be caught and taught in relationship. This very interesting diagram here shows a child's week on average. Now, presuming your child sleeps straight through 11 hours a night, never waking up for glasses of water or nightmares, a big chunk of their time for an under 10-year-old is spent sleeping. A big chunk is spent at school doing other activities. And probably about an hour or two hours a week at church. But you see that chunk of time there with parents, that actually even those who have got two working parents, probably about 30 hours a week of time we spend with our children. And the Christian faith can't be fully communicated in a classroom in one hour a week. It's not just about learning Bible stories, but it's about having a relationship with God. Rachel Turner, one of the pioneers of this whole kind of idea, talks about our kids need to be more than God smart. They need to be God connected. More than God smart, they need to be God connected. We have perhaps 30 hours a week with our children, particularly in those early years, And actually, we are, we have this time with them. And it hasn't got to be about um, having, you know, 
sitting down with them and reading the scripture the whole time, but actually throughout our lives, we are, we are sharing what we're doing with our lives. They get to see our lives. We have this time with them. And we can't expect the church to do it for us in an hour a week. It's just not possible. The second reason is this, is that we are their role models. Isn't it amazing how kids pick up our mannerisms? My wife is often on the phone, so my kids... Uh, as soon as they could play with toys, began to pick up any object, and it became a phone. And uh, hilarious seeing them kind of mimic my wife on the phone, like, hello, yes, oh, hello, yes, 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 oh, hello, hello, yes, yes. And the funniest ones when they mimic my wife on the phone to me, Daddy, where are you? <laughs> no, now, Daddy. <laughs> now, Daddy. But they, just by watching us, they pick up these mannerisms at how we do things. And actually, what are we showing our kids in the way that we live our lives. How do we deal with difficult times, tough days, pain? How do we celebrate things in our home? What are we modeling to them about the Christian faith? The good thing is this, God does not expect perfect parents. Can I amen to that? Because <laughs> none of us are gonna be perfect. But actually, we are role models. What are the things that we are passionate and excited about, and how will that rub off on our children? Parents remain the most influential people in their children's lives right the way into their teens. And research shows that when parents intentionally nurture the child's faith, there's a much greater chance of them having their own faith when they grow up. The third reason why is this. Parents need to be a primary role because nobody knows your child like you do. God has entrusted your child to you. Not to somebody else, but to you. So when your, question, when your child asks a question, often you'll know the reason behind the question that they're asking. You'll know the needs and the learning styles of your child You'll know how your child wrestles with things best and how they understand prayer. That actually, we know our children really well. We can actually understand them and actually speak into them on their faith journey. Three reasons why I think parents need to take a primary role. Not only the biblical reason, but because we have the time. We are the primary role model. And thirdly, nobody knows your child like you do. The question then begs this. Why do parents sometimes find it difficult to nurture faith? And their children discuss. Two minutes, go for it. Okay, so any thoughts? Why do some parents sometimes find it difficult to nurture faith in their children? Any thoughts on that at all? Any thoughts? It goes against society. Yeah, interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. So the secular world and children's videos where they're watching and things, it's very difficult to combat against that, perhaps. Yeah. Priority, actually, is it our priority? There's so many pressures on parents to have your kids eating healthy and everything else, and actually to do this on top of everything else, another massive thing. Yeah. <laughs> because we're scared they might turn around and go, you hypocrite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. That's good. Honest. Good. Any more thoughts? Actually, your child might not want to do this. They might be resistant against the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. One more comment. 
not knowing where to begin. So tomorrow we're going to look really at the practical things we can do with kind of six kind of questions to kind of frame that really practical stuff. But yeah, you're right. Where do we even begin? Good. Okay, well, um, with the Kitchen Table Project, we'd like to have the idea, rather than being barriers, we call them hurdles, because hurdles can be overcome. The first one is the feeling that sometimes we feel, I'm not qualified. We live in a society, I think, that is uh, very professional. So my kids wanted to learn how to do ballet, and foolishly, they asked me to try and teach them. I'm at that age where their dad can do anything, including ballet. So I did what any good dad would have done, and I watched a YouTube video, and I tried to teach my kids happy toes, sad toes, and I couldn't do it. So what did I do? I got them involved in a dance class, a professional to teach them how to do ballet. And I think we often get our kids to get professional input for football, for sports, or for education. We go to professional people. And the danger is that sometimes we think, well, actually, I'm not qualified when it comes to the Christian faith. We need to find somebody who's got a a PhD in theology to teach my kids stuff, rather than me trying to do it. I might teach them the wrong stuff or get the wrong things. Kids come up, don't they, with those kind of incredibly difficult questions at times. And I think um, over the years, just now, six and a four-year-old now, some of the questions they ask, like uh, off the cuff, like on the way home from school and in the car kind of thing. So, Daddy, um, why don't we go to a mosque? It's like, oh, okay, uh, that's an interesting thing to bring up as a four-year-old and trying to work out how you articulate that for them to go back into school the next day. Or things like, Daddy, when we prayed for that girl and she died, why didn't God answer that prayer? Or, Daddy, can you, can you explain to me, what is the Trinity? Well, actually, there's a great few lectures here this week. I can get the recording and say, kids, listen to this. But all those kind of questions, we often feel flummoxed, like, I don't really know how to articulate this, maybe even for myself, yet alone my kids. There are some difficult things. We think, well, we need to seek a professional. Or sometimes, again, we think that we are disqualified by the way we live our lives. My worst uh, moment of this was uh, taking my kids to go and see a show in the theatre. And we're about to go in. And suddenly I realised that um, my youngest child was too young for the show. I could just picture in my head what was going to happen. We weren't going to get allowed in. And she would throw this massive tantrum. Like, oh, I can't deal with that. So they said to me at the door, you know, how old's your daughter? I said, oh, she's four. Very small four-year-old, but she's four. At that point, my oldest child turned to me and went, Daddy, that's a lie. That moment of like, oh, how do I begin to unpack this now? But actually, we see in our own lives the mistakes we make, the, the shortcomings we have, and we lose our temper, when we kind of go crazy, and we kind of think, ah, how can I ever teach my kids about this? But perhaps, actually, we are qualified because our kids see us warts and all. And these difficult moments are actually an opportunity talk about forgiveness and failing and about how actually God still wants to use us and God still loves us despite the things we do that are wrong. Those difficult questions, Rachel Turner has four kind of things to respond to, which I think was really helpful. She says, when a kid asks you a difficult question, ask these four things. First of all, what do you think? To get them to think about it themselves a little bit, first of all. Then say, here's what I think. So begin to share what you know. Thirdly, then say, here's what I don't know. That it's okay not to have all the answers at time. And finally, to say, here's how I deal with it. Here's how I live life with that uncertainty there. That thing I don't fully understand as well. So the first hurdle is I'm not qualified. But when I say you are qualified, okay. Second of all, I don't want to pressure my kids. 
And, um, and there's truth in this. We don't want to pressure our kids. But I do believe we want to give our kids the best shot at having a faith in God. And it's not about pressuring them, but it's about actually allowing uh, ourselves to work with what God is doing in their lives. Kids are very naturally open because I believe they are creating God's image. They have this sense of belief in a purpose and a creator and the supernatural. They are able to imagine things. They have these amazingly curious questions like, you know, why is the sky blue? And those kind of questions they have. They have this natural desire to know God, I think, in the early years. It's not about pressuring our kids, but actually working with that natural sense of curiosity that they have. And I would say that we don't want to force our kids, but we actually need to work with that. Because if not, the world will give them a different story to live by. If we are not intentional in trying to disciple our kids, then they'll be discipled on social media and in the playground and by their friends. My kids haven't got a natural desire for uh, oral hygiene, but I teach them the importance of brushing their teeth. In the same way, at times it might be very difficult to work out how we share with our, our faith with our kids when they're not particularly keen to learn more. But actually, if we teach them to brush our teeth, we teach them the kind of things of God in the day-to-day of life. Because no home is neutral. Up until the age of 11, kids generally assume the faith of their parents, what happens in the home. And the interesting thing is, what are we demonstrating in the home? We don't want to pressure our kids. What are we demonstrating? What are we passionate about? What do we talk about? Is the way of Christ just something we do on a Sunday morning? Or does it impact the way we live our lives? I found this uh, diagram really helpful here, which we have to squint for, I think, to see uh, from the back. But it's the idea of different stages of faith. You might have come across Fowler, who's done a lot of work on this. This is a, is a kind of four-part thing by Westerhoff who specifically looks at the stages of faith in Christian families. And he argues there are kind of four kind of phases. The first is experienced faith, where infants assume the faith of their caregivers as is what they are first exposed to. The idea that these kind of rings of faith kind of grow like rings on a tree. And in this first kind of uh, experienced faith, it's kind of those who are under the age of 10. What they experience in the home, what they experience in the church gives them a sense of meaning and of purpose. That generally they assume the faith of their parents. And if their church is warm and friendly, then they assume that God is warm and friendly. And the opposite is also true. The idea of actually experiencing faith at the age under 10. The second phase is affiliative faith. It's really kind of the early adolescence age. When they take on aspects of faith and they, and they begin to belong to the church community, their parents remain kind of critical in this, but the importance of having a youth group, the importance of being able to, to serve in some way and be practically involved. It says in the chart, a child starts to take on faith characteristics of their caregiver and thinks of themselves as part of the wider faith community. The third phase comes, which is searching faith. When they begin to question everything, young people begin to question some of the beliefs they have been brought up with and decide whether to take responsibility for their own faith, searching faith. And at this point, parents can often panic. They're asking questions about things. They're actually asking questions about everything. All they've learned and grown up with, actually, is this stuff all true? It's a natural kind of process. They begin to explore their faith. They work out what is it that I 
believe myself. And it's really important that we don't shut them down, but actually we, we allow them to ask those questions. We create space. There's that great story in the Gospels when John the Baptist begins to question, actually, is Jesus really the Messiah? And he sends his, his disciples off to go and find out. And actually, he sends his questions to the right person, to Jesus. And actually, in this difficult phase, it's how we point our kids time and time again to Jesus, that we don't meddle up the idea of personality and spirituality. Actually, they might not be kind of a come to church every week, but they might still have a spirituality there, a sense of kind of something of God doing something in their lives, not to mix those two things up. And the fourth thing then is own faith, where a person claims ownership of what they believe and practice. It actually becomes something that they own, that they choose for themselves, and becomes actually their own identity. Quick question again in your groups. So I'll leave those four things on there right now. And the question is this. What role do you think parents play in each of these phases? What role do you think parents play in each of these phases? Discuss. Two minutes. Okay, any, any quick thoughts there at all? Any quick thoughts on those four different phases? So what perhaps, first of all, is the parents' role in the experienced faith? Any thoughts there at all? In the experienced faith, one of the kind of, some kind of key roles there. Yeah, creating opportunities to explore the Christian faith and to be a part of the whole thing, and yeah. And what you celebrate, how you celebrate Christmas and Easter, those kind of things really matter because kids will pick up on what are the, the traditions here and what really matters here as a family. Yeah, that's good. I think being part of a church community is really important as well. The second one down, affiliative faith, where a child starts to take on the faith um, of the caregiver and thinks themselves as part of the wider faith community. Actually, how can they practically be involved? Perhaps they can help welcome on a Sunday morning or give out hymn books. I remember one of the big things for me, I was, I was a reader in the church uh, for, for a while. And during my searching faith, I got, I got kicked off the reading rotor. And that really hurt me. The church had kind of kicked me off the rotor without actually asking me first and foremost. So those kind of things are really important, that affiliative faith. How do people belong and get involved? Third of all, the searching faith, the kind of questions they have. Good ideas about giving your kids an Amazon voucher. So if they've got something they want to ask about the Christian faith, they can go and uh, buy the right resource or point them in the right direction. But give them space to ask questions, to raise their doubts. And fourthly, own faith, actually celebrating that with them and celebrating that part of the journey with them. As we're running out of time, I'll jump onto the next slide here. The third kind of uh, barrier, the hurdle, is I'm too busy. And it's hard being a parent, isn't it? Just me then, okay, you guys, oh yeah, we've got it nailed. It's hard being a parent, it is tough. Um, I mean, the first time leaving the hospital with this kind of child on my arm, thinking, I can't believe no one's going to stop me. I've got no idea what I'm doing. And uh, I still have no idea what I'm doing most days. But Because um, there's so many things to do. There's, there's the laundry, there's the cooking, there's the pat lunches, there's the reading, there's the reading the parental books, there's the clubs, there's so many things to do. Almost we can say, actually, I'm just too busy to work out how I do the faith thing as well. I'm going to leave that for the church to do. But I do believe that actually it's our parents' role, it's our responsibility, it's our opportunity to work alongside God and helping our kids flourish in their faith. And part of that is by doing it in the everyday. That isn't just about special events, but how do we begin to make ourselves more aware of what God is doing in the everyday of life? It's not necessarily do more. It's about perhaps being more intentional. What is it that we can do as we are doing the laundry, as we're walking to the park, as we're playing games? What is it we can begin to do as we're watching Paw Patrol and discussing the themes that come out of it 
in their day-to-day of life that helps begin to share something of the Christian faith. As a parent, there are two kind of roles as parents, and um, I'm a big fan of surfing. Any want surf any surfers here? Nope. Okay. Uh, I, I surf quite a lot, and uh, there's, a, there's a thing that surfers call the washing machine cycle. When you're caught by a big wave and you get tossed around in the wave, and you're not quite sure which way's up, which way's down, and suddenly you become very aware of how important breathing is. Often you're breathing without thinking about it, but in those moments of being tossed around, you finally come to the surface, desperate for breath, like <gasps> just the next wave comes crashing down upon you and pulls you back under the water again. And I often think that actually the Christian faith is a bit like breathing. The idea of breathing in and breathing out. As we breathe in, we receive from God. As we breathe out, we breathe out into the world around us. We breathe out his grace and his truth into the world around us. And as a parent, we need to breathe in, first of all. We have to be disciples. That first verse I shared, fix these words of mine in your hearts and your minds. The hard thing for me being a parent, though, has been this. Is that, particularly my second child when she was born, she didn't sleep for the first two years. I don't know how she did it, but me and my wife didn't sleep either. And it became really hard breathing in. That some of the things I'd done in my own personal discipleship just weren't working anymore. I was so tired of trying to stay awake and pray or trying to read the Bible. I just, I just wanted to veg out and watch TV. And it became very difficult working out actually how I maintained that relationship with God, how I kept breathing in. Next question down, which we haven't really got time to discuss, is this. What are the challenges to discipleship as a parent? And what have you found that works? Me and my wife bought a chair. It might seem a weird thing to do. We thought we needed to create a space in our, our home where there's like a, a sacred space. We tried to have 10 minutes least in this chair each day. We sit in the chair and just reflect upon scripture and pray and allow God to speak to us. Just for 10 minutes a day to begin to build that rhythm back into our lives again. Because it's so easy in the busyness of life to stop being a disciple ourselves, to stop breathing in. And the second thing is to teach them in the everyday, that it has got to be about the everyday. It's about being intentional. And tomorrow we're going to look at four key areas and six key questions as we get really practical around how we begin to share and nurture faith in our children. This project we're involved with is called the Kitchen Table Project. Because the idea is it's not about um, a classroom, but actually the, the, the table where we share meals and play games and do homework. It's about where we do life together. In your bags, you'll find a little kind of brochure explaining the vision behind that, particularly looking at the under-10 age group. There were kind of three quick resources there. First of all, there's the Inspire Session, a free downloadable resource you can do at home which are, or with your group in your church, which is a bit of video and some questions to explore how as parents you can become more intentional. Second of all, there's this book called Raising Faith, which came out two months ago, which is kind of a really practical guide to how we begin to nurture faith in the home. And thirdly, we're back over here again in the autumn doing a Raising Faith event, which you heard about just before. Uh, but do go on the website, The Kitchen Table Project, type it into Twitter and onto Facebook, and you'll get regular, each, almost each day you get uh, ideas of things you can do in the home. Really practical things you can do to begin to be intentional in the home. And there are two of our, our friends, run to these two resources as well, parentingforfaith.org is a great website, lots of uh, helpful courses on there to do, and godventure.co.uk. Again, really practical things you can do in the home. We're kind of running out of time. Let's not offer questions, but maybe uh, any quick questions? Tomorrow we're going to get really practical into these kind of things we can do around the home and, uh, and look at what we can do in the everyday of life. It's going to be really practical tomorrow. Let me just say a word of prayer. Is that okay? Father God, we thank you for the gift of children. 
And we thank you that you trust children with us. And we thank you for this gift we have, been able to pass on the truths we've discovered about you to the next generation. Father, help us first and foremost to keep breathing in, to keep being disciples of you, to create space to be alone with you. And help us to breathe out into the world and to share with our kids what it is to know you personally. May our lives be full of passion about what it is to know you and to love you and to serve you in the good times and in the tough times. Father God, for those of us here who've got kids who are presently walking away from faith, we thank you that you are more committed to them than we ever can be. May we keep praying for them. And those of us here who've got kids who are doing all things right right now, we just still pray, God, that they would uh, discover what it is to be God-connected in that relationship with you. Father God, we thank you that you love our children. Help us to share that compassion and that love with them. In the name of Jesus. Amen.